Welcome to Invited In, a podcast connecting the global family of Samaritan's Purse. Today I have Bev Caulfield in the studio with me. Bev has worked around the world with our projects department for over two decades. She spent most of her time overseas in Liberia, where her husband Kendall was the country director. Bev has worn many hats within Samaritan's Purse and continues to use her gifts and talents within the ministry. Our conversation, as always, was challenging and motivating as she honestly reflected over her many years of service. I hope you enjoy our conversation today. So Bev, thanks so much for joining me today. I know this is not easy for you, but I appreciate your heart and your willingness to share. So I would love for you to just tell the audience how you got involved with Samaritan's Purse to start with. Sure. Um, Wow, it seems so long ago. I've been with SP for 20 years, Hmm. Um, but I met my husband, Kendall. Uh, We're both Canadian. I grew up in the Yukon and British Columbia. Um, But we met at university, both played varsity basketball, and he was a missionary kid, and that's the first missionary kid I've ever met. Hmm. And so... uh, he kind of introduced me to a whole new world. Um, and then when we were coaching basketball at university, we took our team over to Kenya and played against the Kenya national team. That was a lot of fun. But that was my first exposure hmm. to a developed country. And it just, I wouldn't say it was all of a sudden like, God was like, this is what I want you to do. It wasn't mm-hmm. like that at all. It just mm-hmm. was like, wow, there's hmm. people who are suffering here. Mm-hmm. Um, and growing up, uh, because we didn't have any TV or electricity where we lived in the Yukon. Um, I read a lot of Time Magazine, National Geographic, and so mm. that really got my my imagination going And during the Ethiopia crisis in the 80s and seeing mm. that and just being like, why are these kids suffering? That's mm. always my question. I was just very curious, very curious kid. So seeing it for the first time was something that was just really, yeah, it was like, almost shocking mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. people didn't have people to take care of people who needed it. Mm-hmm. So when we went back to <clears throat> Canada after we brought our team back, um, I had graduated from university and went back and got another minor in international development because I was just so, um, again, just curious and intrigued about this world where people had to suffer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like I hadn't known that before or seen suffering, but just to that extent, So I applied to different organizations, um, like we were talking earlier, like total old school, Mm -hmm. send your resume in an envelope Mm -hmm. and send it away, and got nothing for five years. Mm. Um, And this whole time, Kendall had no desire to go back to Africa. So I think he just kind of let me do my thing Mm -hmm. and didn't really think anything of it. Um, And then a friend of my brother's who went to the same university, he was uh, working for Samaritan's Purse. I'd never heard of them. And he was doing a career fair at our university. So I went over one lunch hour and was checking out the career fair and saw him and asked him what he was doing. And it was during the time of, uh, we were just heading into South Sudan and working at the Louis Hospital that was being bombed. And so I invited him over for dinner and he had a VHS. Again, that's how old I am. (laughs) (laughs) And he showed us and I was just like, Hmm. this is what I want to do. And so he was overseeing the Canadian internship. Hmm. So he really encouraged me to apply, but then told me, it's six months, and I remember saying to him, you know I'm married, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so Kendall and I talked about it and really prayed about it. Um, I had this feeling that if I applied, I would get it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very much a gut instinct, Holy Spirit person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I feel something like that, it's just like, mm-hmm. I know. And I don't know if Kendall really believed it at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Um, so he's like, well, apply, and that will be kind of our, hmm. our fleece. And I said, are you sure? Because I'm pretty sure I'm going to get this. Mm-hmm. And he kind of looked at me like, I think you're a little bit crazy, you mm-hmm. know, but I sure enough, I applied and I got it. Mm-hmm. Um, so after Hurricane Mitch in the fall of 98, I went in the summer of 1999 as a biosound water filter intern, uh, three months in Honduras, and then mm-hmm. I was sent for three months in Ecuador, where you just were. Mm-hmm. Um, to train a national partner in the biosound water filter um, systems. And after I came back, uh, during that time, I just really prayed to the Lord that if this is something that you really want me to do, fan the fire mm-hmm. and prepare my heart for whatever Kendall, where Kendall's at. Um, and during my internship, I experienced everything that you can experience in the field. I got carjacked at gunpoint, I was sick, I was lonely, everything. Mm in that six months, but my project went like great, Mm -hmm. clean water. And it was like, God was saying, Mm -hmm. I want you to do this work, but this is the cost. Mm -hmm. And so it was good. I'm glad I did it alone in all honesty. Mm -hmm. I think if, if Kendall was there or even anyone, Mm -hmm. I would have leaned on them too much and not gotten that raw experience that I needed because I needed that affirmation knowing that my husband wasn't quite there yet. Mm-hmm. So for the next um, five years, uh, I worked with SP Canada with their internship and their water program, just going out on little trips here and there um, on contract. Um, and then we adopted our first son, Isaac, from Haiti. Mm. Um, and that was a big, um, kind of a big step of faith, knowing that, okay, I'm going to be home with this guy, trying to figure out mm-hmm. you know, life with him. Um, and at that time, through circumstances, uh, Kendall finally was willing to at least apply to Samaritan's Purse. Um, and I had just been in Angola for three months um, and really enjoyed it there. And the geography is very similar to Zimbabwe, where he grew up. So I mm. thought, well, if I get him back to where mm. it looks like home, uh, maybe he'll be more willing to go over. Mm-hmm. Um, so he agreed to apply. He had an, a phone interview with Don Norrington way back then. Mm. Um, and we came down to Boone, and when we got here, from the time we left British Columbia to here, they had closed the Angola office and wanted us to go to Liberia. And we had both had really terrible experiences in West Africa separately, hmm. and I was just like, that's the pit. Hmm. Like, so when, I think it was John Freiler, he was the regional director then, said, what do you guys think about Liberia? My heart just sank, because I was just like, Kendall doesn't want to go. Mm-hmm. Like, I, at that point, I'd go anywhere. Yes. But I just was like, man, I don't know if Kendall, but Kendall being Kendall, he was like, oh, okay, we'll look at that and we'll pray about it. He was, you know, of course, so nice. And when we got back in the car, it was a different discussion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, we finally, he finally, and together, we decided that we'd go to Liberia. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of in between that time, but... Mm-hmm. We adopted Isaac on Mother's Day uh, in May 2004, and by January 5th, 2005, we were in Liberia. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's what I always say with people when they are called to adopt, to go to missions, you know, pray that your hearts will be united. And yeah. God, you know, if he yeah. wants you to go, he will do that, because that's usually the hardest roadblock. Oh, for sure. One's willing and the other isn't. So Yeah. Yeah. It's very difficult, too. Like, you see that in the field sometimes mm-hmm. where you can almost tell, well, you can tell mm-hmm. where... One is like mm-hmm. very much, and the other one isn't, and it's it's really hard and sad to see. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't want to force mm-hmm. Kendall. I didn't want right. him to, you know. Um, we wanted 
to just let's let's just give it a year. That yes. was our motto. Let's okay. just give it a year and we'll see what happens. And I was like, okay. Wow. Here we so go. You, so you ended up in Liberia. <laughs> yeah. Know? And at that time, the country, you know, you were, there was in a crisis, correct? Yeah. Why did, why did Samaritan's Purse open an office there? Why were you sent there? Um, the Civil War that started mm-hmm. in the um, late 80s, early 90s, uh, had just finished in 2003 in August. And so we got there about 18 months after. Um, and it was still very much a failed state, no mm-hmm. government, no mm-hmm. government systems or anything like that. So Samaritan's Purse was there um, helping IDPs, um, child soldiers, mm-hmm. yeah. So what did what did it look like for you and Kendall? Here you are, a new family of a new child, uh, <laughs> and you're you're stepping off a plane into a yeah. turmoil state. What what did your what did it look like? It was crazy. Um, the airport was complete chaos. The flight was delayed, so we didn't end up getting in until midnight. There's no like municipal power mm-hmm. in Monrovia, so everything is dark. Uh, we had like six hockey bags full of our stuff, and uh, Isaac was uh, like 18 months, 19 wow. months. Wow. Um, yeah, but the next morning we woke up and opened up the curtains, and uh, where the compound is where we live, right across the street is the Atlantic Ocean. Hmm. Um, and Kendall, I'm, I'll never forget, he opened the curtains like, well, even if it doesn't really go well, we mm-hmm. live beside the ocean. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, okay, let's mm-hmm. see what so we can do. beautiful. And we had devotions with uh, three national staff in our living room, and our office was our mm-hmm. house. Wow. Um, so what did you do there initially, mm-hmm. work-wise? Kendall was a country director, and um, we basically, uh, I think Samaritan's Purse was not sure if we should keep the office open in Liberia, so just trying to get reestablished, and so... Um, I, I knew how to do water projects, mm-hmm. and so uh, got permission to do a small water project. And um, Kendall, with the help of, you know, uh, Samaritan's Purse here at headquarters and also the UK office funded a big water project for us later just to try to get us established as an, mm-hmm. as an NGO. And within six months, um, we had like 25 staff all in my house, and we had projects, and uh, within a year and a half, yeah, it just took off. Like we went from, it felt like zero to a hundred in like six months to a year, and it just has never let up. Mm-hmm. So, so the work began. So I, I'm assuming there were constant challenges. Um, oh, and yeah. you mentioned um, how did how did you guys stay the course? How did you stay there? Mm-hmm. You know, with a child amidst mm-hmm. all that. Yeah. What pushed you through? Um, I think Kendall and I are pretty easygoing. We're pretty down to earth, and we have a good senses of humor. I think it did obviously help him growing up in Africa mm-hmm. and me having had worked a lot with Samaritan's Purse. So um, we had a, yeah, I think honestly, Christy, we didn't, we didn't know any better. Hmm. I didn't know really how to parent. I was a great auntie. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just put Isaac in the Land Cruiser and away we'd go. Mm-hmm. I didn't know any better. And mm-hmm. so we just were very free that way. We were just willing to learn and make mistakes and keep moving forward and mm-hmm. um, kind of laugh at ourselves. And um, by the end of 2005, I went back to, to Haiti and picked up our second son, Felix. So he was three. So when we came back in 2006, now I've got a three-year-old and um, a two-and-a-half-year-old. So it was like wow. having twins. And again, I didn't know any better. I just threw him in the land cruiser and away mm-hmm. we went. Mm-hmm. We would tent up in the bush. Um, and Kendall just 
kept leading the team. It was getting bigger. I, I, I'm more of a field person. I like to be like out in the field with staff. And mm-hmm. so um, God was incredibly faithful for the amount of mistakes. Mm-hmm. And just personally our, I mean, obviously in the bigger picture, the depravity of our sin and the fact that he just loves us so much and allows us to do, exist, never mind do this incredible work was just humbling. And I'd waited so long, like what, 10 years to get like out here with my family. And then we had a great team and being part of sports teams my whole life, I just love that. Mm-hmm. And so I think we just started to just get stuff done and have fun doing it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, then later, years later, Ebola came. Do you mind yeah. talking about that? Um, we all know the story of Dr. Kent Brantley, mm-hmm. um, but he's not just a story to you. He's no. a friend and a... Um, and you walked through that. Can you talk to me about what you learned um, during that time? Yeah. Um, it's funny now I look back and go, oh, yeah, that happened. Because um, it seems very surreal at times mm-hmm. still. I think there's, there's times in people's lives where you have a life before something happens. Mm-hmm. And then that thing happens, whatever it may be, and your life changes. And so I would think for, I can only speak personally for myself, you know, but I know that a lot of us who went through it have talked about it, that that was kind of that, that moment, that epoch moment type of thing where you're going along and things seem to be going really well. We had an exit strategy. Kendall and I started talking about leaving Liberia during that time. And then all of a sudden, gosh, within six months, your whole life is like mm-hmm. not even close to normal and turned upside down, and um, you're in a place that you never thought you would be. So I think looking back, it's very easy for me to say looking back now that uh, God is faithful, mm-hmm. and God got us through. And all those things that we say once we get through something and we have some perspective, mm-hmm. we see that redemption coming through in different things. But when you're right in it, Mm-hmm. And you see, you don't see anything. I think you just, you get to a point where, at least for me, especially working in the unit, um, I just became very, ta- I had to become task oriented in knowing what I needed to do and remove all my emotion from it, um, which was difficult because then when you get out of the unit, all of a sudden it just kind of sweeps over you. Mm-hmm. So we had an incredible team. Um, an incredible team that helped all of us get through it. And I think it, it, it took its toll. It, it came at a cost for all of us mm-hmm. in different ways, mm-hmm. like how it affected Kendall or Joni or, you know, Lance or obviously Kent and Nancy and all those incredible mm-hmm. people um, was different and how it affected me was different. And so... Yeah, it um, it just it changed our lives. Mm-hmm. Definitely, mm-hmm. definitely changed our lives. And I remember talking to my boys in the kitchen, and they were eleven and twelve. Um, I think one of the hardest things I had to do was to tell them that Uncle Kent and Auntie Nancy were sick. Mm. Um, and that's that was probably a low moment of parenting. Not that I was failing, but the fact that I had to break that to my mm-hmm. kids and mm-hmm. how hard that was for them. Because mm-hmm. this was your family. Yeah, mm-hmm. this was. Uncle Kent mm-hmm. and Auntie Nancy. 
Um, this was Stephen and Ruby's dad, mm-hmm. you know, so it was very personal for them. Um, and just watching them process through that, like my one son, Isaac, was, he's a little more my drama queen. <laughs> mm-hmm. He started to cry, which didn't surprise me. Um, and it was obviously okay. Mm-hmm. But he's, and I asked him, I said, boys, you know, do you, do you still want, are you okay with mommy still going back in mm. tomorrow morning? And Felix is very logical. He's like, well, will you be safe? Mm. I'm like, of course I will. He's like, okay. And Isaac was like, mommy, I don't want you to go in, but there's no one else. So this struggle Mm -hmm. of understanding that this is my mom, but there's Mm -hmm. no one else to help. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, who else is going to help if you don't go? And so, yeah. Speaking of that, how, how did you raise your boys to have that perspective? You know, because you think most kids would cling and not let you right. go back. And the fact that you talked about it and you gave them, you know, you asked them what they thought and allowed them to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. How did they have that perspective? I mean, obviously you were all in mission together, right. serving. Yeah, and I always tease my boys that they didn't know mom and dad before Samaritan's mm. Purse when we mm-hmm. were like, we were kind of losers. We didn't have like, <laughs> <laughs> we were like super poor and mm. didn't know what we were doing with our lives and I'm like, boys, you don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they grew up in the field, and they grew up a, mm-hmm. around an incredible community. Mm-hmm. They saw suffering. We talked about it a lot. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very, um, I want to communicate with my boys mm-hmm. um, in a very wise manner and just discern with the Lord and obviously Kendall on what they, what they need to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't want to hide something from them. So they, they start figuring stuff out pretty quick. It wasn't like they were five and six. I think mm-hmm. I would have handled it differently mm-hmm. if they were a little mm-hmm. bit younger. But they knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. I never, ever took them up to the unit, mm-hmm. ever. They never saw a unit whatsoever. They never saw me in PPE until mm-hmm. actually I came here to Samaritan's Purse and they wanted me to get in it for a photo shoot. Mm-hmm. And the boys were like, oh, this is what it, mm-hmm. you know. I hadn't shown them any pictures yet. I've shown them pictures now, but it's different. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know, Christy, I... Um, I I have incredible parents, kind of no nonsense and mm-hmm. uh, hardworking. Um, I raise my boys as if they were came from my own body. Mm-hmm. I don't raise them any different. It's a hard one to answer because it's my hardest job. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know this. Yeah. Yeah. I'd rather get back in PPE and go to the jungle and fight Ebola than deal with my now 16 and 17-year-old boys and mm-hmm. girls. Mm-hmm. That's not fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But I, I I just want them to see that God is faithful no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. I remember telling them in the kitchen, I was like, boys, you know what? Like, even if Uncle Kent dies, God is still faithful. Mm-hmm. And that's hard because mm-hmm. I, I wasn't believing it. Mm-hmm. It was really hard. Um, I remember saying to my son when I got asked to go to Mosul, and he was not happy about that um, at the emergency field hospital mm-hmm. to be the hospital director. And I was trying to, Kendall and I were explaining to him, we had our family meeting, mm-hmm. that how much safety and how great SP was in protecting us. And his answer through tears was, well, that's what they said about the Titanic. And I'm like, how do I answer that? <laughs> <laughs> but I remember saying to him, you know, Isaac, mommy has to trust God. God with you. Mm-hmm. Do you trust God with mommy? Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. was just before we made the decision that they would come over and go to school in the States with my sister-in-law and brother-in-law who are incredible. I said, you know, mommy has to trust that 
you go to America and go to school and I don't see you every day, I can't protect you from someone who maybe doesn't like you or mm -hmm. doesn't like the color of your skin or whatever. Mm -hmm. I said, that's the same God that you have to trust, hmm. mommy, because this is what I do. Mm -hmm. This is what God made mom to do, mm -hmm. is to go to these places and help. And so do you, do you understand that we both need to trust God? And that was hmm. a big moment for specifically him. Again, my other son, mm -hmm. Felix, is so logical that mm -hmm. he's like, okay, mom, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. where he's a little more, he wants to know. And I just said to him, I said, you know, one of my biggest fears is that you will blame God for mom and dad's calling. Mm -hmm. I, maybe not calling is the right word, but for what we do. Mm -hmm. And you'll say when you get older, well, you know, that God took my parents to dangerous situations. I don't mm -hmm. want to follow him. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like the story where... Uh, John the Baptist's disciples come to Jesus and say, basically, are you really the Christ? Because John's about to be beheaded. Mm -hmm. And whenever I read that story, I'm just like, John should know. He baptized him, but he's about to get killed. So, of course, he's asking these questions. Are you hmm. still the one? And, and Jesus replies, like, you know, the blind see, the lame walk. He says all these things. At the very end, he says, blessed are those who do not fall away in account of me. Hmm. And I think about that, you know, like... Hmm. To follow him comes at a great cost, mm -hmm. and people around us question that cost. Mm -hmm. And here's Jesus saying, blessed is he who does not fall away because of that f calling, that mm -hmm. what you do. So just being able to share that with the boys is important. Mm -hmm. I mean, teenagers now, mm -hmm. especially when they are now, it's a little tougher, mm -hmm. but they get more excited about, oh, mom, you're going to Dart Bahamas? That's totally cool. Mm -hmm. You know, or mm -hmm. I saw you on the Weather Channel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, but I'm like, whoa, cool mom on the Weather Channel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, um, I mean, they, they love it. Mm -hmm. um, they've had, uh, of course, um, Franklin come over to Liberia and get, they get spoiled by him. And mm -hmm. they just know this whole world now mm -hmm. that, yeah. Kendall and I kind of started from the very bottom mm -hmm. and they've been able to see all these things happen. And, mm -hmm. um, but I think the biggest thing for them is being able to share stories about how God is faithful, mm -hmm. regardless of the outcome. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. I know we deviated from, from your Sorry. story, but I, no, I appreciate that as a mom, because I think we've dealt with that and, you know, in the military, mm -hmm. same thing, but that was, I think, a little different because it wasn't God sending them. You know, it was mm -hmm. the army, and now we're dealing with, yeah, ministry and God, and yeah, that's just really helpful. And I think sometimes it's hard because mm -hmm. they don't choose this life, you know, and they didn't choose no, the military. We did, yeah, but they have to go along with it. So I appreciate you giving some insight and how to how to deal with that mm -hmm. when mom and dad go to dangerous places. Yeah, how do you navigate that? Um, so what did you learn about God through Ebola, and and how did you suit up? You know, knowing your friend's sick, um, how did you do that? How did you cling to God in those times? I think, um, well, first, first of all, I, I didn't do it hmm. mm -hmm. as much as I should have. Um, I wish I would have done more, for sure. Um, I think at the beginning, before Kent got sick, we realized that you know we're here. These are our people, and we want to be able to help. And so we, we just kept going. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was long, long days. Uh, this is back before there was, like, 
hardly anyone was training. Again, it was just, you know, Doctors Without Borders and us. So spending a lot of time in the, in, in the unit. Um, but I, I, again, I think, and this is just, uh, just me, everyone was different, but for my job specifically as um, basically, I was a, we always say it was a, I was a glorified janitor and undertaker in a yellow suit. So some days we're just cleaning up a lot of stuff. Some days was just like all day moving dead bodies. Mm. Um, you just get so, you have to be task oriented where it's just like this task, this task, this task. And everything has to be just tight and very focused. So for me, um, just getting laser focused mm -hmm. on that and removing just what I needed to remove to do it or else I wouldn't be able to do it. So... There's a few times where I just had a lot of stuff on me and just thinking, like, there's literally this piece of material or mm -hmm. this goggle, because there's a spot right there mm -hmm. between me and this disease. Mm -hmm. And if I let, if you let your emotion, mm -hmm. you're, you're going to freak out and start mm -hmm. ripping stuff off. Mm -hmm. um, I think the hardest part was just trying to, get through the fact that people were dying without people around them. Mm -hmm. So I remember once have, I was just like praying for mercy for this one lady. I was just like, Lord, have mercy on her. Like, if it's your will for her to die, then let her die now. Mm -hmm. I, I've never prayed that before. I almost mm -hmm. felt, I felt horrible. Mm -hmm. But I was just so like, to see suffering like that, mm -hmm. I was just like, Lord, like, Lord have, have mercy. Mm -hmm. You know, you're a God of mercy, and so please show this. I, I you know, I, I'm not sure what else to do. I can't do anything else. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's tough moments for sure mm -hmm. that, yeah, that my goggles were full of tears mm -hmm. and my mask was full of just, yeah. So I think... Staying laser focused, but at the same time, yeah, there were times where as I was standing waiting to get out to doff to get, you know, our suits off. Um, yeah, death is all around you. It's like this spiritual battle going around. You can almost feel it. Mm -hmm. You can almost feel this epic mm -hmm. battle between the angels and demons mm -hmm. around you, and you're just kind of like standing there. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Do you feel like that changed your perspective of eternity? You know, did it make you more eternally minded, knowing we are all going to die? Um, and just seeing death, did it make you more on fire to, to live for eternity? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, it, I think if you don't, mm -hmm. after something like that, mm -hmm. you need to kind of check your spiritual pulse. Mm -hmm. um, but I think more than that, it... It didn't scare me. Mm. At the time, I was scared. Don't get mm. me wrong. I was so... I've never been so gripped with fear in my life. And I, I'm usually not scared of anything. Mm -hmm. But that was like something I've never, ever felt before. And I think after that, I was just like, I hate that I let fear do that to me. Mm. I hate that I let fear not allow me to get back into the suit and do more. And so I kind of was like, I will never hmm. allow that. I don't want to make decisions based on fear or insecurity. Hmm. I don't think those are 
I don't think that's what the Lord intends for us to do when we make decisions. He wants us to seek Him and trust Him. Hmm. So how did that change you? I mean, you, you don't sound like a fearful person um, from what you'd done prior, but how did that even change you from there? Did it change the way you approach the Lord? Did it change your mm-hmm. daily habits? What did it do? Yeah, I think um, it gave me even more resolve, which I, I think if my mother's listening is like, oh, no. Just to like, hmm. this sounds, I don't know. This is all I know how to say it. It's like, Satan, go ahead, bring it on. Because hmm. it doesn't matter. Hmm. You know, like, you can win these little wars here and there, but we have won the overall battle. Mm-hmm. And you're never, ever going to take that away. Hmm. And I think um, a big thing for me was my identity. And I thought I knew where my identity was, Mm -hmm. but when I felt that fear stole that, and then all of a sudden we have to evacuate, and I'm like, what am we gonna do? Everything we had was stripped away. We could only evacuate with 25 pounds from Liberia, and we'd lived there at that time for 10 years. We didn't know where we were going. There was a stigma on us. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, your identity is like this, mm-hmm. you know, Ebola person that everyone is fearful of. Mm-hmm. But I think the harder thing was, I was just like, Lord, are you kidding me? Like, after all that we've done for 10 years, this is not how I planned the exit strategy. Mm-hmm. And that identity in that. And that's why, you know, now when I talk to people, especially young people coming into um, Samaritan's Purse, if you don't have your identity straight, hmm. you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah, I think we all get in trouble when we don't know where our identity is mm-hmm. as a daughter or son of, mm-hmm. of, of the king. And mm-hmm. that's all it is. And that's all it has to be. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't like it when people use the term hero or whatever else they want to say it. That's not who I am. I know who I am, and I don't deserve any of those. But if I can bring it back to that, I'm a daughter of Jesus who has forgiven me, mm-hmm. then I can go from there. Mm-hmm. That's why I had to ask, because most people would say, I'm, I'm done. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to go home, I'm going to go back to Canada and live a normal life, you right. know, and yet you decided, no, I'm going to come yeah. back, and I'm going to encourage people and challenge people to do this. I'm going to mm-hmm. go back. I mean, you guys have now served... Many other times, uh, mm-hmm. still, you're still serving, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did how did you do that? What advice would you give to people that things are getting hard and they maybe think, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm done. I've done enough for you, Lord. Right. <laughs> um, you've closed the doors. What, yeah. what would you say? How did you find that, you know, identity? You said I think, in Christ. yeah, it's in Christ. And I think what you want to make sure is that, you know, when it's stripped away, that you don't panic and try to fill it with something else right away. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we do in our society. Um but if you the the sooner you can understand that you have that identity in Christ and what he has done for you and what you deserve death and hell hmm. the gratitude that comes from that and unbelievable love and understanding just how much he loves us mm-hmm. i you know like mm-hmm. it's i don't know as i get older i'm just in more and more awe of it that will get you through mm-hmm. i know that sounds very like a padded maybe answer mm-hmm. but just strip off all the complexities and just keep it simple. Mm-hmm. And don't let other people kind of dictate who you are. And don't let your ego. Mm-hmm. We're, we're our biggest distraction. 
Mm-hmm. So don't let your ego get in the way because our line of work, it's very easy, mm-hmm. you know, to go out there. Yeah, we're saving people mm-hmm. and we are, but mm-hmm. we start to feed that mm-hmm. and that's a dangerous animal because mm-hmm. then when we don't get to do it, what do we do? What do mm-hmm. we fill that with? Mm-hmm. With or without Samaritan's Purse, I know this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And there's a freedom in that in the sense of I'm not looking for a title. I'm not mm-hmm. looking for any type of praise from man. Mm-hmm. I know what I've been saved from. I know that I'm a daughter of the king. There's a, such a freedom in that, mm-hmm. that you can move forward. And these difficult situations come, but he is so faithful. Um, yeah, I think, I know that's not, mm-hmm. it's no. not a... No, and I Theologically love that you said that. Deep. <laughs> no, but I think that is the biggest struggle. And I talk all yeah. the time about how Moses, you know, initially when called, felt so unqualified, tried right. to talk God out of it a million mm-hmm. times. I can't do it. I can't speak. I can't, you know, and then he did it. He did mm-hmm. what God called him to do. But then he did get prideful, you know, and that's right. why he didn't enter the promised land. Well, I you think know? He, he didn't know his identity even at the time he was mm-hmm. being called until mm-hmm. God showed him, mm-hmm. you know. And then when he did, I think once, once again, there's just such a freedom in that. And mm-hmm. I wish I could just install that in every single young person mm-hmm. now because I see people struggling for that, mm-hmm. especially in the church. Yeah, but that's why we, we don't want to teeter on either side. You mm-hmm. know, we have to stay mm-hmm. so dependent, so surrendered, and I think yeah. it is a posture, and that's what I see in you. It's just a posture of the heart. Lord, use me. You know, that Isaiah, I'm right. yours, send me, is, I think, the anthem of your heart. And um, can you tell a story specifically where the Lord showed you, um, you know, how much He loved you and taught you that through circumstances? I think just the fact that I'm a sinner, hmm. I, I just can't get past that. Like everything starts from there for me, mm. that he knows my heart. He knows my, you know, the struggles that we have. I, I'm fully aware and, and probably not even fully aware as he is of, again, deserving death in hell. And yet he has mm-hmm. saved us, mm-hmm. you know, um, nothing that we have done by grace alone. And that to me, and again, it's that simple. Who would love me to that point, mm-hmm. knowing, fully knowing me? Um, and I think that's something that is very humbling. And um, sometimes I like to scare myself and think, okay, you know, like if if I'm doing this work, then are you going to be attacked that much more? Mm-hmm. You know, but I think, yeah, there is definitely some of that. Mm-hmm. You know, Satan doesn't like it when we're proactive and going out there for the gospel and, mm-hmm. and risking everything. Mm-hmm. But again, we can do that here. Mm-hmm. But it's just that it's that posture of humility and understanding what mm-hmm. we've been saved from. And so I think that's what speaks to me more than anything. Like when we read God's word, it's, it's like a, it's incredible pursuit of us mm-hmm. because he loves us so much. Mm-hmm. This reconciliation of that through his son, Jesus Christ, that is just so undeserving, but he's been, he's given us freely. Mm-hmm. Speaking to that, do you have a particular scripture you cling to? Um, I know you probably have many and have many <laughs> over the years, but what is something that, that helps you remind you of your identity? Well, actually there's a whole chapter um, in 2018 or 17. It was 18, I believe. I decided to read Romans 8 every single day. Hmm. And I really, really loved it. You know, the very beginning, after Paul goes on about, you know, uh, if grace abounds, should I sin more? He does all this thing. Mm. He says all this stuff in the first seven 
chapters, which are incredible. Um, I'd encourage anyone just to read through that. But then in verse, uh, in chapter eight, he starts off with therefore. Mm -hmm. So after all these things, mm -hmm. there's no condemnation through those in Christ Jesus. And it's like your, your, your identity has nothing to do with your past. Hmm. He has saved you from that. So stop living in that. So, yes, that's easy to say, say for a non-believer, but say for someone like myself, um, I can't continue to live in guilt that I didn't do enough mm -hmm. in whatever response mm -hmm. or that I made the wrong decision or once again, I did or thought something that I shouldn't have, you know, confess, move forward, mm -hmm. don't live in that past and let that binds you. Mm -hmm. um, but that whole chapter just goes on about um, our sonship, our son and daughtership in him. We cry, Abba, Father. He doesn't give us a spirit of fear. Talks about if he is for us, who can be against us? Mm -hmm. And then our, our biggest need, our biggest desire is to be loved. Mm -hmm. And he spends that whole last section that there's nothing that can separate us from his love. And so I just really focused on that chapter for a year. Mm -hmm just to really know this is how much God loves me. So that's, that's a whole chapter. Mm -hmm. um, recently, um, there's a, a verse um, when we talk about calling and I get a little hesitant when people say that because I kind of, I don't know, I kind of look at them and go, are you sure? Because it's, you know, like real calling, like biblical calling comes at a cost. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if sometimes mm -hmm. society, even in the church, uh, you know, we don't like to be, unsafe. Um, mm -hmm. We don't like to get sick. Mm -hmm. uh, all these things that I'm not too sure why, because we live in a sinful world. So they're here. Mm -hmm. So then we need to deal with it. So, so a verse that I um, have been just thinking about in first Corinthians, uh, I believe it's one nine. And we established that uh, God is faithful I mean, that right there is just mm. great truth. Who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's what he's called you to. Hmm. That's it. He, I think if we focus on that, he'll take, he, he always takes care of the details mm -hmm. if we trust him. His plan is perfect. He's a good God. Um, and he's faithful. Hmm. Cling to that. Nothing more. And I think we always want to know, what does it look like? What, it, what mm -hmm. you know, but he just says, be faithful, mm -hmm. you know, and, and cling to me and yep. he'll reveal it. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing um, your heart and your stories and the way thank that you. the Lord's led you. And I think you are, I know you are <laughs> an encouragement to all, but that's why we wanted to bring you in and just have Thanks. you urge people um, to keep keep the calling, keep the faith. So thank you so much for sharing. And, and as we close, um, we like to always close with a prayer request since Liberia, I think mm -hmm. he spent such a huge chunk. How can we pray for the people of Liberia and the, and the team that's there mm -hmm. today? I think just praying for, uh, for strength for the team at the mm -hmm. end of the year, finishing mm -hmm. off projects. Um, there's a lot going on there right now. Praying for wisdom and discernment. Mm -hmm. And then there would be a real revival for just the integrity of Jesus' followers, mm. that the church would really just rise up mm -hmm. and be counterculture mm. and um, live lives um, that reflect, reflect His grace. Well, thank you so much, Bev. Thank, thank you, you for joining me today and Appreciate sharing your heart. Appreciate it. Thank you, Christy. Thanks.
I so appreciated my conversation with Bev. It, it was hard to get her in here because she doesn't like to talk about herself, but I'm so thankful she did because she has so many stories of God's favor and um, working in her life. So thank you so much for tuning in. Have a blessed week. Thank you.